This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by the Charcoal Book Club. Their carefully curated selections reflect the best in contemporary photography, all for a reasonable price. And they are delivered directly to your doorstep each month. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. and subsidized elsewhere. And it's a great way to begin to expand your photo library. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. If you aspire to become a professional photographer, you'll likely visit a photographer's website who does what you want to do. And when you see their work and their extensive client list, it, it can be intimidating. You wonder how you can go from where you are to where you want to be. Yet, it is essential to remember that everybody starts somewhere. And everyone's path is different. Initially, Evan Tanaka chose a career in the medical field, in part to satisfy the desire of his parents. But after getting a degree and working in the industry, he admitted to himself that he wanted to lead a creative life. So he returned to school to study marketing and taught himself to become a photographer. Though he didn't experience overnight success, he persisted to become a commercial photographer and filmmaker whose clients include Amazon, Starbucks, and T-Mobile. Evan is an example that pursuing your passions, it begins with just making the choice and slowly finding your unique path to making it happen. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Yeah, thanks for your patience in making this happen. Yeah. It, it, was, it, was, yeah, it was really crazy here. Uh, I live in Altadena, so during a windstorm, I am used to power outages, you know, because with those especially with those heavy Santa Ana winds. Yeah. And a couple of times we've lost power. I think one, the, when they had those bad wind storms like six or seven years ago, mm -hmm. we were without power, I think, in December or January for about three days. Oof. How do you survive? No Netflix? Nothing? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Jeez. Running to the car, running to the car to charge our phones because all yeah. of our chargers were. Yeah. And uh, getting an ice box for all the stuff that, we wanted to to keep and uh, huddling up around the fireplace. Yeah, might as well just be the Stone Ages. <laughs> <laughs> we were going back and forth between either getting solar, or getting a, getting a generator for the next yeah. time that it that it happens. But we'll we'll have to figure it out because there are caveats for either way you go. Mm -hmm. So, but life in Southern California. Oh, what are you going to do? Could be worse, right? <laughs> so, yeah, welcome to the show. I've been really intrigued uh, by your story, and your work is really great. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, especially since you had really no formal formal training. I think uh, uh, you've taught yourself very well. Because you don't get my to be able to get a brudge. They got to pay you for that. But. <laughs> But photography wasn't your, your first choice. You considered a, uh, several different careers before you turned to, to photography. So tell us about that, that journey in terms of 
your initial choices and, and what led you eventually to pick up a camera? Now, like you're talking to my career choices that have nothing to do with photography. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, I mean, I started off with the idea that I wanted to make my parents super happy and go in the medical field. And I wanted to be a physical therapist. And that took me down the, the route of becoming an athletic trainer and then working with sports athletes. And I just realized after I graduated, after I took my boards exam, I was fully certified. I got hired as a head trainer. I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I'd always been creative, but it wasn't flexing that creative gene in me, I guess. I still had no idea what I wanted to do, but I just knew that wasn't the passion for me for a lifelong. And this is back when I was like 22, right out of college. And then I went and decided, all right, something a little bit more creative, went back to get worked at an internship in marketing because I had no experience in anything business related, marketing related. Got an internship with that, did that for two years, studied hard, took my GMAT exam, got back, went back to school uh, to get my MBA in marketing um, because I figured creativity, marketing, of course, that's got to be something related to what I want to do. And in the meantime of getting my, uh, going back to grad school, that's when I picked up a camera. And the only real reason I picked up a camera was I was starting a clothing brand for myself. Because again, very creative. I wanted to stay creative. And I developed this little athleisure brand that I designed the, the logos for, teaching myself how to you know, use Illustrator and Photoshop, really simple techniques. Built this logo and I started screen printing some things, found a good screen printer, but I needed to market it and I needed to get content out there. And I was the cheapest person around because I worked for free and I had to take my own photos. I had to teach myself how to take my own photos. I mean, yeah, back in grad school, like, I didn't have a camera. I couldn't afford one. I couldn't, like, I mean, even iPhones and stuff back then weren't as good as they are now. So you're not able to just rely on your phone make, taking cameras. Then I went to University of Oregon. What I would do was I'd go to the library and tell them I was taking like a photo 237 class or something, just make something up. And they would loan me a camera every weekend. And they finally caught on after a while, but that's how I started. And uh, that's how I started. I had to go to the library, told them I was taking class and give me a camera. And then I'd go out and take photos of friends, classmates. I just bribe people with clothes just to go out and shoot with me. And then I, from there, I just taught myself, you know, how to use a camera, a little bit of photo, a little bit of video, taught myself some editing. Yeah. Yeah. The beginnings of a young hustler. It, that's uh it was like, I, 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 Kind of wanted, because I thought, you know, here's this business I started and I was going to business school. I was like, oh, this is the perfect way for me to grow a business while in business school. I can apply my things I'm learning in class back to the brand. Little did I know that I was teaching myself a skill set that I was going to actually fall in love with. And, and that would end up being my career over being this, you know, ha having an actual apparel line. You mentioned earlier that you mm -hmm. wanted to please your parents, and that's why you <laughs> went into consider the medical field. And I've talked to several people whose journeys kind of begin similarly. You know, they're they're young, and they want to make their parents happy, especially if they're paying yeah. a bill, or even if they're not. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but that's that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure, um, mm -hmm. and some some people are able to do it. 
and convince their parents to support them and others uh, their parents are doubtful until they actually see that you're able to sustain yourself so yeah what do you think helped you to to make the choice to to pursue it rather than just staying in you know in your in your initial was, studies of, of medical you know, it, it was a gradual shift you know i was i was lucky my parents were very supportive but as long as i had an end goal um they just wanted to know that i had a good shoulder on my head my or a good head on my shoulders and there was always a reason for what i was doing it wasn't something that i was just like oh you know i want to be a musician when i know nothing about music and i wasn't willing to learn how to play the guitar or sing or anything and i was just like i'm just going to become a musician and i had no you know drive to learn how to do it i think the difference for me was when i wanted to learn something i'd really devote myself and i even sh i shared the experience with them I'm like when i started picking up the camera like i would show them look at this photo i took look at, and i mean my mom was even a part of my shoots in the very beginning like she would come with me she would take me places to take photos and you know they they were part of that process so i guess you know in my even though i wanted to please my parents i i knew that i needed to be true to who i was for the long term because if I were to pick a career just solely to make them happy without any regard of what I wanted, it, it's not going to last. It, it's not going to make yeah. you, you're not going to find fulfillment in it. And, you know, when I made that, I remember that day I called my, my mom and I was like, Hey mom, I know I just got this head trainer job and then dude, I'm checking all the boxes, graduated college. I got decent grades and here I got a job right out. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, she just said, okay, so then what's the plan? And I said, I'm going back uh, and I'm getting an internship in marketing and this is what I want to do. And I'm gonna, this is my my vision or my journey that I see for myself for the next five years. And she's like, okay, I support you. Just make sure you do it. Uh, and and I did. You know, I, were, you, were you an only child? Did you have siblings? And no, I had, a, I had a... I had an older sister. Uh, she she's a golden child for sure of the family. I always say <laughs> that she's she's uh she did like she she checked the boxes of what a good older sister should be. One, she was an awesome older sister to me, but then also just a really good person and a daughter in general. So then she definitely had, gave me a lot to live up to. But I think because of my personality and how I was, you know, just, I always was moving and I always had to do something in terms of being creative. They expected something, a little bit of a different route for me versus my sister, you know, going to college, got a good job. The job was directly related to her undergrad degree. Then she went back to grad school. Then she got an even better job. And then now she's working in Germany uh, for a software tech company. And she's just like, she's killing it. But for me, my route has just been this zigzag and no, in that experience, I realized no one route is meant for every single person. They're each right. going to have that individual route that's going to be defined how you, your journey is going to make that route in your end goal. Um, so no route is exactly the same for everybody to get to where they want to be. Yeah, that, that was one of the ideas uh, that helped sort of develop this show. It wasn't so much... Mm -hmm. 
talking to photographers about well, how do they do things and what camera you use. But as it was coming to an understanding of the different ways people make a photographic life. Whether they go from the very beginning straight out of school or whether they begin a photographic career as a sort of a second career later on in life. Mm-hmm. And you know, all the sort of variations. Because I think that a lot of a lot of people, including myself, always thought that there's just a singular way of doing anything. And you realize as you talk to different people that there's so many so many different ways and most importantly you have to discover what's going to be what's going to work for you because just because mm-hmm. everything that you've done have worked has worked out for you doesn't mean that someone can follow exactly your path and get a similar result it, it's going to be shaped by who you are and by your strengths and your weaknesses and so on absolutely and it was and i, I want i should be clear about this when i taught myself how to use a camera. I didn't get my first paying gig until probably like three years in. Like it was, I was still doing it on my own, still trying to learn. I would do free shoots. Um, And even after I graduated grad school, I still got a full-time job uh, at an investment firm. So not going straight into photography, not having that be my leading career. I moonlighted for two years and I, you know, I started getting better and better jobs. I finally got my first paying job. And that's when I kind of like a light bulb clicked. I was like, oh, you know, I can, I can make money doing this for a long time. I just did it for myself and just wanted to learn. And then I was like, oh, there's, I can make a little bit of extra cash on the side. I still had my job at the investment firm. And then finally I got offered a position to be a senior producer at a men's fashion brand. And I said, okay, this is this is my life. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I want to create content. I want to work with brands. I want to um, come up with a strategy. I want to learn photo. I want to learn video. Where exactly that's going to take me, I don't know. But this is I'm going to take off in my creative my creative journey. So, w- what were your responsibilities as a senior producer? So a little bit of everything is a startup brand. I mean. As I don't know if you've ever worked in a startup company, it's like you just wear all the hats. Uh, yeah, my world was everything from ecom photography, edits, photo, uh, learning how to. I had never shot studio photography up to that point. They had seen my lifestyle stuff, and lifestyle is great because you're just like you went outside, and I was just taking photos using sun and natural lighting. And not to discredit that at all, but studio photography was just a different world to me. How to bounce lights, shape it, make it soft, hard, whatever it might be. And so I had to learn all of that on the fly when I was there. Um, and then uh, we did lifestyle shoots. We I had to do everything from the strategy component of it, of like developing marketing campaigns. I worked hand in hand with the marketing director, with the CEO. I mean, it gave me a lot of good experience since it was such a small team. I think there was about 13 people there, um, and we were shooting high-end quality uh, men's dress shoes. Um, so, and we had like this action uh, vibe and sports style that we wanted to put in, infuse into our brand. And so that taught me a lot about adding life to photography and capturing action and freezing motion, um, which I actually then applied to a lot of my product photography that I ended up picking up later. How long were you there? That was about a year and a half, and then the pandemic hit. And then, oh, okay, as you can imagine, 
Yeah, and then as you can imagine, yeah. not many people are wearing men's dress shoes during a pandemic when everybody's wearing <laughs> sweatpants to Zoom meetings. <laughs> so, so yeah, did, it, it was. Did, so how? Yeah, I mean, how, you how you know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it it changed it. It changed it big time. Um, you know, I think when I was there, I I always wanted to go off on my own and do my own thing. I didn't think I was ready. I think I was like, you know, I'm still learning and I still have so much to learn. And uh, I was making some great contacts there, but it was in the back of my mind. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, it was just I didn't get a choice anymore. I, I remember like sitting there. It was very early into the probably a few months, couple months in. We were all working from home at that point, And we were supposed to have a meeting. Like I think it was a Monday morning meeting. We always had our Monday morning meetings at 9 a.m. Never failed. And then we were all sitting on there and our marketing director and our CEO who are normally there weren't on. And we sat there for like 10 minutes and we we're like, this is on, this is weird. And they're not here. We emailed like, Hey, what's going on? They said, Hey, things are changing. We'll be in touch soon. And that day people started getting the phone calls of, Hey, we have to let you go. We can't, we can no longer keep you on board uh, and so on and so forth. So I spent probably, you know, about, as we all did in or most of us did in the early days of COVID just kind of like I got nothing to do. Nobody was doing anything. And, you know, that like is two weeks of just like sitting on my butt watching bad TV and <laughs> like, you know, just watching those stupid reality shows that they just started popping on Netflix, <laughs> just getting addicted to those. But then it like, it dawned on me. I had, I had all this time and I didn't have a lot of money. I, I mean, we couldn't spend a lot of money. It wasn't making any, and that's when I was like, okay, I took the initiative and I would, I remember going to the grocery store and I would make a deal with myself. Every time I went to the grocery store, I'd buy one thing that I had to take a photo of. Uh, and it would usually be candy or something that was very cheap, like a dollar. And I said, before I eat this candy, I got to take a photo of it. And so that taught me a lot with just, you know, first taking initiative, getting creative with very minimal, using things around my house that prop and stage what I was trying to create. Uh, and then I was just, you know, having fun with it. And I, I shot a lot of, a lot of CPG brands that way. And I built a resume that I didn't realize I was building while I was doing it. Oh, that's great. And I love how you incentivize yourself. Yeah. That's great. Especially yeah. if you got a Yeah. Team. You got to have some type of, yeah. I love candy. Come on. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> so what are the, so, it's more than just about taking pictures. I mean, you're starting to consider about how to mm -hmm. sort of make money so you can subsist on this. So yeah. were, were you at, in parallel to creating the pictures, trying to think about what this business that you were interested in, what it would look like and how it needed to take shape? Yeah, you know, I think in the very beginning, it was very... I just wanted to make some cool stuff. That's all it really was to start off with. Um, and I wanted to teach myself new techniques. And it was more of like just staying busy because again, going back to how I was growing up, I just needed to stay busy and stay creative. And then when I started shooting a lot more and then certain brands would reach out, I'm like, oh, you know, of the, again, the light bulb, wait, I'm providing a service that brands need right now, especially during the pandemic when big shoots were all shut down. 
you're not having a crew of 5, 10, 15 or plus people on set anymore. And they are looking for these individual creators that were able to develop, you know, premium content at a low rate and do it themselves and do it fast. And that's exactly what I was doing. And because I came from the world of teaching myself things, this didn't seem that, you know, that big of an undertaking just to be like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Um, I can, I can teach myself how to take these photos and make it more aligned with their brand and what they're looking for and how it aligns with their strategy. If it's an advertisement or lifestyle or organic post, whatever it might be. But I just said, I just started saying yes to all this opportunity because brands were hungry for it back then. And that's when I started really getting specific with the type of content I was creating and what I was putting out there and even making the shoots that I were, I was doing for fun. I still geared them towards the brand. So if the brand saw it, they'd go, you know, that looks like something we'd want to use who shot this. And then they'd go and, you know, ideally it would work out that way where they reach out to me or I'd reach out to them and say, Hey, I shot this for fun, but it actually looks like it's aligned with your brand. Would you like to do something? And and, and it ended up working quite a bit. Were, were you using social media to post the images and tagging them? Was that the way they were getting to see them or would you send it to them directly? Um, a little bit of everything. So this is like, kind of when TikTok was really taken off, right? This was about two years ago, a little bit more than that now. Because um, even before the pandemic hit, TikTok was on the rise and you start seeing some really famous people come out of it. Um, so I started sh sharing a lot of behind the scenes, but it was mainly lifestyle that I was showing, like my lifestyle shoots of people running around. And then when the pandemic hit, I was still sharing that behind the scenes content, but now is my garage shoots. Now I'm shooting at home. I'm shooting with, you know, everyday items. And it was a little bit more accessible, I think, for people to digest and be like, oh, you know, he's not using anything fancy. I could do that. I mean, he's, I remember I was using one of the shoots I did was for White Claw and I used a kitchen grate for my sink and I put it on yeah. two little stands and I was hanging fishing wire uh, with cherries on it. And it was like, I'm not doing anything fancy, but I think people liked that. They were like, wow, you know, it's almost inspirational that this guy's creating content. I can do this at myself. Um, and I think that really caught on for a while. And so that got some recognition. Brands would see me that way, but then I would also reach out to brands too. So I would, again, the White Claw example, I would, what I did with that one was I, I created the content, did the behind the scenes shoot, posted it, did very well on social media, but White Claw didn't reach out to me. So I went and I took the initiative and I sent it to them. Uh, first on Instagram, they never got back to me. Then I think I sent to them on TikTok, they never got back to me. And then I went on LinkedIn and I found the social media coordinator that worked for White Claw at the time. And I sent it directly to her. And then finally I heard back from them and they were like, yes, let's do something together. Yeah. Cause a lot of people talk about how to use social media. Should I, should, should mm -hmm. I use social media? Which ones to figure it out? Because mm -hmm. they're constantly out there. Like you just said, um, it was advantageous for you that TikTok was just in its initial growth growth period. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So how was was your understanding of how social media works? Was that something you had to sort of teach yourself as well as much as you had to teach yourself about photography? I think my mindset had to switch because 
since I was in, you know, the creative producer or the content producer at the, the men's brand, and I was also running marketing at the investment firm, I knew the power of social media. I knew what it could be used for if you use it in the right way, depending on what you're trying to do, whether it's for a brand or for your personal uh, personal business or your personal brand. And I, I especially knew like TikTok had a bad name for itself at the time in sense of everybody on TikTok just does fun, kitschy dances and, you know, they do little skits. And I was like, that's not, that's not me. I'm not a dancer. I, I mean, you can ask my wife, I try and dance all the time. They, they don't, <laughs> it's not pretty, <laughs> but and then I was thinking, you know, but it is a platform to get your work out there. And that's what I used it for. I still used it in a professional matter to show off what I'm capable of doing while adding a little sense of entertainment to it while teaching people like how to actually do it themselves uh, and using it in that way was very powerful and was able to reach a lot more people instead of, you know, thinking of, Oh, social media is not for me. It's meant for little kids or TikTok is meant for, you know, 20 year old dancers. Like I'm a professional photographer. It's like, no, you can find your way to utilize these platforms to get your name out there a lot more and it's going to benefit you, your business and how much you want to grow. It's, it's really up to you. People fixate on the number of followers they have on whatever mm, platform yeah. that they're using. And for me, it's not so much of the numbers. It's about whether mm -hmm. or not you're reaching the right people that help you sort of reach yeah. your goals. There's a lot of content, photography content that's, that's out there and Mm -hmm. A lot of it is sort of instructional, which you were doing, but there are a lot of people who are going to it because they're trying to improve their photography, not less, not much less looking for a client to work with. Mm -hmm. So how, how mm -hmm. did you strategize to make sure that you just weren't producing this content for other photographers who were trying to figure things out? How, how I was just like... Oh, just being like uh, just teaching people instead of actually utilizing it to right. build my own. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yeah, it, I guess the way that I looked at it was when I was starting out, I wanted to learn from these other people. That's how I taught myself. I would go on YouTube. Uh, those behind the scene type videos six, seven years ago, those weren't really that big of a thing back then the short form videos there that really didn't exist there or at least it was very rare and then on youtube you had your long form and that's where i taught myself all of that stuff so to me it almost felt like i was giving back in a way because like this is how i learned now i'm not doing the long form youtube but i'm doing my own version of it which is these short form videos of how how the sauce gets made but then i remember back in the day when i would look up to these people their brand was continuously growing and they were just teaching people how to shoot photos or videos. And it's just like, it's the same thing. Like if you're giving back and you're generating good content and things that people are liking, brands notice that they see the engagement. They see that this person is a thought leader in more than just, I can take a good photo and they're actually building a community around them. And I think that's way more valuable than just somebody that can be like, I can take a good photo and that's it. Well, guess what? I can take a good photo and build a community around it and it could be a thought leader. And I think that, yeah, it's just so much more power. It's just multidimensional really. 
Yeah, and that idea of community, I think, is really essential because putting up cool mm-hmm. content that that's shot and edited well, that's great, and it's it's, it's appreciated, especially by me. You yeah, know, I if a, if a video has bad sound, I'm out within three seconds. I don't care how good the <laughs> right, exactly. Are. I I do not. I'm wearing cans. I don't need to. I don't need to put myself through that. But <laughs> yeah. when you start growing the community, it's part of the success of your use of social networking uh, revolves around the sort of the dialogue. So, but it also can become very time consuming as your brand grows, as you get more and more followers, you start getting more messages, more questions, and it, it can become, it can get to the point where it's sort of taking away from your effort to grow your photography brand and your, and your services. How did you, how did you work that out? Look, it is a balance that if anybody really figures out how to do everything amazing, please let me know. Uh, because it, it's it's really difficult. And maybe if you had a big team, even then it'd be really hard. Like, I run my own social media. I don't have somebody posting for me. I run my own business. I don't have someone running it for me. So there is a little bit of a give and take. In the very beginning of the pandemic, when I didn't have as many clients and there wasn't as much work out there, I was all in social media. And I was just really wanted to create create great content that people enjoyed and entertained and maybe it taught them a little bit of something. And I was able to do that once, twice, three times a day because I had nothing else going on. And then, you know, you get more clients and then it kind of scales back a little bit. And it is a little bit of this ebb and flow of being able to balance that. I think it's really important, though, that you never lose sight of what your true goal is. And my goal is to to grow a very successful photography agency um, that is well-rounded, that is able to work with clients. And that's my main goal. So if I just keep that you know, as my shining star in this whole process, as long as I'm moving forward towards that, whether it means I take a little slower break on social and take go really far into just working with clients and maybe it's just a few specific ones that's going to help me get there so I can, you know, achieve that, then that's, that's okay. And I've made that conscious decision moving forward that that is going to be having something, a little bit of a sacrifice here and there to be able to reach that end goal. What did you learn in your role as a uh, person responsible for marketing? What, did, what were the invaluable lessons that, that you were able to translate to your photographic career? It doesn't... Here, take it with a grain of salt. In the, world, in the world of photography and videography, it doesn't matter how good your work is right now. In if nobody sees it. And I only say that because if you are an amazing photographer and there are a ton out there, it kind of goes back to the follower number thing. I'm not ever saying, I will never correlate the amount of followers you have to how good your content is, but it is true in the world of social media and marketing that if they're not seeing you, they don't know you exist yet. And it's your job as somebody who is creating a business for yourself. If you're a freelancer, you're in your own business and you need to get in front of people and let them sh- see how good you are. Because if they're not going to see it, then they will, they'll never know. Um, so it is your role as your own business to make sure that they know who you are. 
when I'm asked by emerging photographers how they can develop a, a style, I encourage them just to keep making pictures, just as much as possible. Your style will find you. Because style isn't a camera trick or a lighting technique, but a reflection of who you are and how you see the world. So the best solution is to lead an interesting life and make a lot of photographs. The photographers I follow and whose books I purchase reflect that concept. I'm a fan of their work, not because of their camera or their lighting, but because of their vision. When I look at their work, I'm inspired, not because I want to photograph like they do, but because they follow their vision. It encourages me to do the same. That can be a part of your photographic experience as a member of the Charcoal Book Club. Join today and receive a stellar monograph from some of the best in contemporary photography. You'll enjoy a great new title every month when you become a member. And if you don't like that month's release, you can choose another of similar value. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the code TheCandidFrame at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. So I, I think this may be apocryphal, but, you know, it's, it's a, a food photographer shows their portfolio and they have mm-hmm. all these food items and it's for, let's say, an Apple company. And they see all mm-hmm. these images of all these foods and all these dishes and they go, oh, it's wonderful, but do you know how to... Do you know how to shoot an apple? Mm-hmm. Even though the skill set is right there, but people go, they're looking for exactly what they want as a, as yeah, sort of sure. a, a, a sense of security that they get that, that the person mm-hmm. that they're choosing is going to ref- reflect well on them. And mm-hmm. like you said before, the, the quality of the work isn't, is important, but not as much as people think. Um, marketing mm-hmm. is important, but what you've you've talked about a little is just the relationship building mm-hmm. with with your clients, which is much different from what you do when you're just interacting with people who like your your videos. Um, talk mm-hmm. to me about the importance of that and and how how that played a role in your developing your business. Yeah, so I guess it's um, two parts of that, right? You're talking about somebody who. Uh, does food photography, but then they someone asks, like, can you shoot a photo of an apple? I haven't seen you shoot a photo of an apple. I'm not sure if you can do it or not. I do think there is, especially when I was starting out, I made sure that if I was going to go after a client, I had something that was very close to what they were. So if I was going to go after a white claw, I had shot cans and I had shot them in multiple ways. Even though I wasn't getting paid for it, I made sure that I had examples. Like you were saying, some clients just need to know that you can shoot an aluminum can, even though you're like, duh, you know, like I shot glass bottles, which is way harder than an aluminum can. They just need to see it. Um, and I think that's true for anybody that wants to get in photo and video is that brands do want to see that you can do it. So if you're saying, I want to get into uh, lifestyle photography, you better have some lifestyle photography to back it up. Um, to show them that, yes, I can do this. Uh, now, when it comes to building your network and your these clients that you form relationships with, there is no better way to get more business than to have current business. 
And what I mean by that is when you build those strong relationships with your clients and you're reliable, it's not even just about the quality of work, like you were saying, it is, but you're reliable, you're responsive, uh, you over deliver when you under promise, uh, you're easy to work with. That is so valuable building that network of good clients because what something that I've realized, especially being down here in Los Angeles, is that there's a very tight knit group of entrepreneurs down here, especially with their smaller, the smaller startup to medium sized brands. They all talk to each other. They all know each other. Some of them are even invested with each other and they're going to pass off and be like, who shot this? Oh, this person. Oh, this agency, uh, these people. And if you aren't holding yourself to that standard where you are reliable, responsive, giving quality work, easy to work with, they're not going to pass your name off. And that is just shooting yourself in the foot before you even start going. So I, again, like you were saying, the network, it's so important that you're putting your best foot forward at all times uh, and holding on to those, to, holding on to those relationships for sure. When, when you're beginning, you get approached by clients to, to photograph a variety of things. And sometimes you may not know exactly how you're going to pull it off and you have to oh, yeah. sort of teach yourself, but <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't want to say, no, I, I've never shot that. So I'll have to pass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so you wrote on about, YouTube right then. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about how you, how you handled those situations where the solution wasn't obvious, but you also mm -hmm. had to, as you said, uh, over promise, un under promise and over deliver. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I have it's it's not really a mantra, but I guess I'll call it a mantra. I will always say yes until I have a reason to say no, and that's how I've always approached <laughs> approached my way of taking on new business because. Most a lot of the times when you're growing and you want to grow fast and you want to get out there and you want to prove yourself, you're going to get faced with a lot of different challenges that you've never done before. And that that's 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 production. Like I'm I still go through that on a daily, daily basis, coming up with these issues that I have to problem solve, whether it is the content side of it or the business side. But it's your ability to be able to say yes figure it out appropriately and never take on something that you're like, Oh, I'm, they're like, Hey, can you do a 3d animation that has things flying in and you've never touched a computer before? Don't, don't do that. I'm, I'm not saying just say yes to get the job, but you know, your skill set and how you've been able to learn this far. And if you make that promise to yourself that you're going to figure it out, I mean, that's up to you, but I run into that issue all the time. And I, I say, yes, when it's appropriate and because I'm, I'm up for the challenge, but once you do that, you're holding yourself to that standard. Is have the bigger challenges revolved more about production rather than how to the mechanics of actually taking the picture. I would say more recently, probably around production, uh, especially with, you know, the new COVID rules, there's a lot of different things that are constantly changing that we have to be prepared for. And there's things that 
when I was learning, it's just <laughs> ignorance is bliss, right? When you're first starting out, you have a camera and you have a model and you run outside and you go take some photos. You don't care. Like you don't have a wardrobe style. You're not doing checks and balances. You don't not permitting anything. You don't even know what a permit is. And now <laughs> it's these bigger shoots that come along you realize that so much is riding on this that you do need to think about all of these different tasks and jobs that have to be done beforehand because if a shoe gets shut down, then that's a lot of money that's down the drain. It's your responsibility. So I would say, yes, production is a problem-solving issue that I'm sure will continue to happen forever and always. Um, I definitely have ran into issues in terms of just like figuring out how to take a photo or like the mechanics of the camera of how to achieve a certain look. But I think as long as you have the basics down and you've, again, you have the ability to kind of teach yourself on the fly. And I'm lucky in that that's how I learned. You'll, you'll figure it. Oh, I mean, I don't say you will figure it out, but I think you'll have the tools necessary to help you achieve that. You just said something that kind of piqued my interest in terms of. Mm. Oh, no. You know, you're showing. <laughs> no, 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 nothing bad. But, <laughs> you know, you're sharing the content and some of which you shot in your own home, in your own garage, showing the, mm-hmm. showing the process of how you made it. But you, you referenced also the idea of the bigger jobs, the bigger mm-hmm. shoots. So is, did you have to sort of think about the fact that, oh, I'm showing people that I can do stuff in my own garage and f- have a concern that the bigger client mm. might not take you as seriously because you don't have a full totally. studio and all that square yeah. space and seven assistants and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I definitely faced that internal kind of conflict that I'd have with myself. Like, Oh, I'm not, since I don't have the big studio, I don't have that. It, it makes me less than, um, because it's not that place of business. Now I also have a website. So I think that is a big piece of it. So it's not just living on social and showing off, my behind the scenes or just anybody on social, like you're showing your life and everything. And I think there's a pretty common understanding nowadays that we understand what social is, or at least a better understanding of what social is that it isn't, that's not all the person is. Um, and that's what I've experienced. And so, but it is important that I had a website that was much more professional than what my, my Instagram was. So, it's a very, it's an interesting balance, right? You, you've gone to some of those Instagram pages that are just professional work, not a lot of followers, not a lot of engagements, not anything. And that's more of like a portfolio um, because they're just demonstrating how good they are, which is very cool, but they're still going to send along their website. The way that I've done it is, you know, here's this educational tool that I'm providing for new photographers and new videographers or people wanting to learn how to start a photography business on my Instagram, but then also here is my professional work on my website. And I always send that along and I make it very obvious. Like we are much more than just myself in my garage. Um, the myself in the garage is just more of the approachable teaching. How do we take some photos? Um, the page. And I have the, in my Instagram for the, my, my actual Naka studios as well. That's all the professional work. So 
you know, you can do all this stuff, you get these sites, but in order to sustain the business, it's not just important to get a client, it's being able to keep a client so that mm. you get a return business. And as you said earlier, um, the word of mouth that happens as a, as a result. Um, yeah. What were some of the things that you did in order to be able to make sure that um, that you were building a relationship as much as fulfilling the requirements of a job? You know, I think it goes back again to what we were talking about earlier of being reliable, responsive, um, easy to work with. It's a big one. And I think with my experience as, you know, working at the men's fashion brand and being on the brand side versus the agency side or the freelancer side, I worked with other freelancers or agencies and sometimes it was just a really big headache and it was almost made my job harder like i remember there was an an edit or a, a campaign that i did while i was there and we hired this agency to do it and it just just like it would took a long time to get the edits back and it just isn't looking right so i ended up going to pick up the footage myself and i just did it because i just had to get it done and we never worked with that agency again and it's that it's that idea of like, they didn't make my life easier. And just from a pure business aspect and a very simple one is if I can't make the brand's life easier by them hiring me, why would they hire me again? And so I keep that mentality is like, is this making their life easier, their job easier? Am I taking stuff off their plate and not adding more on there? Yeah. And it's as simple as, the brand reaches saying like, Hey, can you jump on a call at this time? Like, and if it doesn't work with my schedule, I'm like, Oh, you know what? It does not work at this time, but here are three more options that I, that may work in my schedule. Please let me know which one would work with yours. And it seems like such a simple a gesture, but a lot of people don't go that far. They're just like, no, that doesn't work. And you, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And it's just like, it doesn't work that way. People, brands, agencies, Freelancers, we're all people, and we just want to make we we want our lives to be easier, not harder. So just make their life easier, and it's I guarantee you, you'll keep clients much much better than if you're just being a a creative, artistic person. That's like, no, I only have one way of doing something. Yeah. So two two years plus so many months of living with the pandemic because we're still not out of it yet. Mm. <laughs> what's what's your Jeez. What's your business looking like right now? I mean, we're we're doing bigger shoots than we've ever done before. I have built this great team around me that is just from, again, they were all freelancers that were all looking to work. I've made great connections. I've made long-lasting relationships with brands. I mean, it, it is it is incredible when you really one have a a desire and a passion for something like this like i know that this is what i'm supposed to do for the rest of my life and i'm doing it with also other brands and people that want to be doing this as well and so when we've kind of come together we've been able to kind of grow naka studios but not only that but the small businesses and the brands that we're working with we're all kind of growing together and we're seeing that over this course of two years um what that means in terms of like one day getting a location we're in the midst of looking for an actual location and that's extremely exciting and having people full-time coming in and working out of the studio 
But as of right now, we just have a strong core group of people working on the biggest jobs that we've ever been approached for. Um, so we're, we're really excited for what the, you know, the next few years have to have to hold for us. That's great. Um, yeah. Kudos on that. I, when I when I first went freelance, I mm-hmm. began working twelve hour days, seven days a week. Oh yeah, and uh, I can't. Uh, and that's changed, thank God. But <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know how long you've been married. How long have you been married now? I should know that. No, it's been uh, about a year <laughs> and a, a year plus a couple months. Okay, okay. But you were with her for a while. But I've been, oh yeah, we were together for nine years leading up to that. So quite a bit of time. So considering how much time is necessary for making the business and also sustaining a relationship, um, how, how, how... Everyone talks about a work-life balance, which I think is is, is a because <laughs> uh, yeah. you, you asked me on that particular day. Um, but yeah. nevertheless, um, how is how has that changed from those initial years where you felt like I I can't be I can't be on my butt. I have to constantly be doing something, and yeah, because you you'll you'll hit the wall at some point. Oh yeah. No, it, you're absolutely right. Um, it's been a, for just for the relationship side, of, relationship side of it. It has been a learning process, and we have not fully figured it out, but we're getting there. I am very lucky that my wife is actually a, a fantastic prop stylist, so we actually get to work together quite a bit now for our bigger shoots. Um, okay. So that is amazing. Um, but I mean, getting to this point of like what you were saying you're working seven days a week 12 hours days and it just didn't seem like it was gonna end i i I went through the same thing i when i was moonlighting and back at when i was at the investment firm i really didn't have a life i was commuting from santa monica or excuse me from porter ranch where i live all the way to santa monica every single day during rush hour traffic and that was almost almost four hours a day in the car devoted to get to to and from work. And then on Fridays, I was, I picked up a really good job, but it took me away and it had me travel. So I'd go to work Monday through Friday and spend my whole life in the car. And then Friday evening would come, I'd get off work, I'd ju- go to LAX, I'd jump on a plane, I'd take the red eye to whatever state, like New Jersey, New York, Canada, we would go to for all these store openings. And I would shoot there that next day, all day, jump on the plane the next morning, edit on the way back, be back in the office, and send in my edit that Sunday back in the office Monday morning. And I did that for about two years. Um, Now, that was an extreme example of how I really had no life. I I didn't have too many friends. I just just worked. But again, I made that conscious decision. I was like, this is what I want to do, and I'm willing to do it. Um, Now... It has changed a bit, but it's kind of like what you said. I I know that I'm going to hit that wall, and I'm not going to be able to work at that level forever. And I think that's what I'm trying to put in place now with Naka Studios is that I am putting my trust in these people that I'm bringing onto the team so that it is no longer the Evan company. It is 
Naka Studios company. And it truly is these collective group of people that are working together for a common goal to create great content for brands that are in dire need to elevate their brands. And that's what we're here for. Um, and we're working together for that. And it's like you said, I can't do that on my own. And so I see that. Yeah. And But uh, just a w- little warning for everybody else listening and young startup freelancers. It can, it's a grind. <laughs> it can really be a grind <laughs> in the beginning and in the middle and, and in the end. So, <laughs> and if you have 20 year old energy as opposed to 50 yeah. plus, it's that's a definite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started feeling my back go out a couple years ago. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be rolling on the ground with a gimbal, uh, with a camera. I'm just not going to be able to do it for the, too much longer. So I, I better figure something else out long-term. Uh, I read that you were a gym rat for a while, and that, that, <laughs> who told you that? that <laughs> I do my research. Um, Dang, but, you? <laughs> but you know that that involves a, a commitment of time, a concentration of goals yeah. seeking. So, is that just a mentality that you've naturally possessed, or is that something that you've learned from doing things like you know working out? Um, you know, uh, I think it's, it goes back to that dedication and just like really going all in on something when you truly feel it. Now, it, it, I've always really been like that for any endeavor that I really wanted to do. Um, the, and uh, yeah, sure. When I was doing, when I was more into fitness, like that was a big thing for me. And I got very dedicated to that. Uh, I was also doing the athleisure brand at the time when I was very into fitness and I was like, I can't promote athleisure, athletic wear, and look like I just lay on the couch eating potato chips. So it was like a little bit of that same, you know, I got to practice what I preach, yeah. but, and I, I went all in. And then same with, I, when I wanted to go back to grad school, I, I really went all in. I, I got my internship that I knew was geared to go back to my to business school. I took the, I took a GMAT course. I studied every single night for a few hours. Um, and then I was able to get into school and I applied that same mentality to when I was at school because I had to be very, uh, organized in terms of, I had my full-time MBA classes, but then on the side, I was trying to start this business and learn photography and marketing and teach myself all these different things. So I, I chose not to go out a lot. I didn't socialize really. I didn't go out to bars. I didn't do any of that in that first, you know, year and a half. And then I just took that same mentality. I, I, I applied that to everything I was doing. Like when I said I was at the investment firm and I was flying to different states, I just, I knew what I wanted and I I really wanted to go for it. Um, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but for me, I couldn't be halfway in uh, with, with still kind of like dancing around the idea. I really need to be, I really need to go for it. If you like the content that we've produced over the years, we can always do with your financial support. We make every episode available for free, and we've chosen not to restrict episodes behind a paywall or a page subscription. You can ensure that it stays that way by supporting the Candid Frame financially by becoming a Patreon supporter. Thousands of people listen to this show, but only a handful support us financially. You can help change that by becoming a Patreon supporter today. 
You can contribute $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash thecandidframe. If you've been thinking about it, why not choose to do it today? Thank you so much for your continued support. Food, the, the business of food photography has, has changed a lot mm-hmm. over the last several decades. Yeah. And now, as much as there is an interest in still, um, motion and video is, mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people ask about. So um, tell me about how you've inc- incorporated that, like being able to create gifts for a client or video content uh, for their for, for, for their website or their YouTube channel. How how important it is, is it to be able to say that you can offer all these variations of content to the clients that you're dealing with today? It, it's it's really important. Um, I, I do preach that for a lot of these brands that are small to medium size, it is, it is very rare that they're going to go to multiple people or want to source multiple people for the same project. They really want that one-stop shop. Um, and I think the more well-rounded as an individual, as a creator that you can be, the better off you're going to be able to land bigger and better clients. If you call yourself a photographer, but you're not an editor and you won't edit your photos, that might work on the high-end fashion world of fine art, but that's not going to work here. It's that time is not as it's just not there as much as it was in the past. Same with videos. Uh, I've worked with a bunch of people that, you know, they they're considered a DP, but they don't edit. And that's great at a certain level. But if you're just starting out, they're going to expect you to be able to do it. They're not going to want somebody that can just shoot the video and then they have to find an editor and then they have to pay more. They want the one-stop shop. So if you can offer them this package and even upsell it and say, oh, you want photos? How about we throw in a GIF? Because GIFs aren't that difficult to shoot if you have the basic, you know, the, the basic techniques down and you can add that in as an upsell like it. You can throw in a couple of those. If you can shoot video, even better. Um, so it is what you as an individual can offer, and it's going to help you be able to get that those new clients bigger and better and, and keep them for longer. Yeah, I I can shoot video, but I sure as hell am not capable of editing it. And that's, that <laughs> and, was and important that's for fine. me. To, yeah, but for me, it was an important thing to yeah. understand it because I, 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 when I did sit down and try and teach myself how to how to do it effectively i realized that it was just it was for me it wasn't worth the time to do mm-hmm. it because even if i became moderately good at using adobe premiere the amount of time i would have to take to practice that to produce content for the client mm-hmm. was not cost effective for me so i worked yep. with a great group of people that if i'm pitching uh, video content i just put that in the estimate and and let and know that i can yep. trust them to take care of it and i think that it's it, it can be a it's, a it's a tipping point i think for a lot of creatives to realize that there is a point where they can't have control over everything and mm-hmm. that you have to sort of bring in people who you can trust and you can rely on and Though there are a lot of freelancers in Los Angeles to do a variety of things, uh, it's also kind of hard to parse, you know, 
who who to hire, not just because their portfolio oh, yeah. looks good, but whether or not they'll fit in the, with the way that I work. So yep. I've got horror stories, but I'd rather hear you tell me how good or bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's definitely horror stories with like people it, like work is work. And there I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm still saying the same thing when it comes to like your work can be great. But if you're not reliable, that's a huge thing for me. Like if I can't just trust that you're going to get that to me on the date that I, I asked for it or the date that we agree on. That's a big thing. And that was a, actually a really big learning curve for me because I was that person that I was like, I can do it all. I can do photos. I can do yeah. video. I can edit um, and I can create this. But then there did come that tipping point when I did have to make that decision. Like, is it is it feasible for me to continue doing this or do I want to grow and be able to start bringing in other people that I can trust? And it was really hard for me to get out of that mindset of just doing it myself. And I still... I still fight with it. I, I have yeah. I have a producer buddy of mine who always makes fun of me because like we'll be in the middle of an edit and I'll like take over the computer and I'll start doing it. <laughs> but is and I'm just and it's still something I'm I'm learning to get better at. Um, but it, I started bringing in people. But the more I I did, it goes back to what you were saying. Those horror stories. It's like work is one thing, but man, it, it is it's. It's simple. Just get it to me on time, please. <laughs> that's just, that's all I ask. Or just be communicating. You know, like sometimes you just don't get any communication back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. People who say they want to do something and then giving them opportunity and they just like, what are you doing? Where, where is I'll, it? What are you doing with this? And like, you, you, I don't And that's the whole thing, right? That over... Or, under promise over deliver never over promise and under deliver because that'll just yeah. take you out of the running for anything else ever again um yeah i can't tell you the amount of people that i've worked with where it's just it's happened that way and it's just like it's a shame your work is great but i just can't rely on you i just can't yeah one of the things about growing growing a business is that you come to a point where you know, you're getting bigger jobs and bigger clients and clients that you normally in the past may have said yes to you realize you have to say no to either because of what they're offering, uh, yeah, or you know, mm -hmm. and even and it's especially difficult with someone you've had a may have had a, a relationship with for a while, but you just can't afford to mm -hmm. to work with them either because of time or, or finances. Yeah. Um, tell Absolutely. me about what that process has been for you. Yeah, it, you know, it's a tough. It's like you're almost like breaking up with somebody depending on how uh, how strong that client agency relationship or freelancer relationship is uh, but you're right there is a time when you were at a certain level and maybe your services were worth a certain amount and then all of a sudden that you're getting better and you're adding more value to what the brand is doing or you just have more on your plate and the timelines are too demanding, whatever the case might be. But there, there will be that time where you're going to have to make that decision. And it's not easy. And it's not always easy to see either. But yeah. you're going to have to say, you know what, this is this is the end of that era and I need to move on to open up for bigger and better things without feeling like I'm being held back because they may be taking up more time than you realize and keeping you from going out and searching for that next bigger client that's going to be able to help fill it and actually provide more. But I will say the flip side is also possible, which is why I always make sure that you're 
adding oh, you're continuously yeah. adding new value to the brand because if you're not continuously adding new brand value to the brand the same thing can happen to them they're growing they'll their needs are changing their ideas right. are getting bigger and if you're not willing to move with that they'll they'll say see ya they'll they'll have an easier time doing that to you than you will to them <laughs> and they'll find yeah. someone new yeah it is a it is a is a fantasy that when you hear either from the photographer or from the client if you do it for this much when we have more money we'll pay you more and that's that's oh gosh i i wouldn't want to smoke out of that pipe <laughs> yeah that's a that's a de- dangerous rope to cross i i don't that's a i don't know about that one there's there's it's it's rare that that's true i guess <laughs> I've yet to hear that story, so I'm 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 sticking by my guns. Yeah. Um, and just say, hey, we paid you this much last time, but this time we're going to pay what we told you. <laughs> They're not going to offer that to you. <laughs> I one of the things I also learned about you know, getting away from the twelve yeah. hour days and seven days a week is that the importance of routine. Because usually I, on my on my good days, it's get up five thirty in the morning, work out. Meditate, mm-hmm. um, you know, take the dog for a walk, spend a little time with my wife before I get to You know, so it's the basic things that have been important yeah. for me, regardless of how much I have on my plate or how many things I have on my to-do list. So what are the sort mm-hmm. of essential things beyond just making the photographs that, that you find help you to get through those, you know, through the grind? <laughs> Wine, mostly. Um, <laughs> um, it's um, I haven't. I I might be the wrong person to ask about work life balance. My <laughs> wife could attest to this. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna pretend to be like I got it all figured out and I have a routine. Now, like you said, on the perfect day, that's my day. I very similar to yours. Besides the meditation, I really I've tried meditating. It's that sitting still thing. I have such a hard time, which is why I probably need it even more. But I yeah. wake up usually around five thirty, six o'clock. I go work out. Um, I, I come home. I shower. I maybe have some more coffee. I get ready for my day and I'm down on my desk by like 8.30, latest nine o'clock answering emails. Now, what typically happens is I have clients on the East Coast, so I'll get up at 5.30, oh, I'll, get ready for, I'll get ready for the gym, I'll go to the gym and I get a phone call that some fire went off and we gotta fix something or they'll just ask me a question that gets my mind going and I'm just standing in the middle of the gym on my phone and I'm just like, I gotta go, I, I can't be here. I, I just have to get back to work. Um, and that happens to me all the time. So I, I wish I was a little bit more structured in my day, but I'm chaos. And then at the end of the day, if I can sit back, if I can get time for an hour to sit back and just like watch TV with my wife, enjoy dinner drink some wine, I'm a happy camper. But those, those times are, are rare for me at this stage. I'm, and that's okay. Uh, I'm okay with that yeah. for now, not forever, but for now. Yeah. So besides, you know, the, the business growing, you, you talked about mm-hmm. having an agency. So what is that? What is, what is, what is this goal? What is it going to eventually going to look like for you? 
Well, it, it really is. Continuing what we're doing now, as I said, we're building this really core group of people that I've worked with over the past, even more than the past two years that I've had in my life that I'm bringing together to be able to continue this growth and take on bigger and better projects, but not only that, multiple projects, and being able to incorporate new things into what we have to offer is that whole idea of, again, keeping adding that value. It's like, we can go out and create the content now, but we also wanna offer you strategy. So we're, we wanna also bring on the marketing side of it. Now we also wanna add in the copy and the social media manager portion of it. So we'll bring in community managers. Um, so we're looking for different ways to add value, especially within these brands that, like, don't get me wrong, the working with the large brands is awesome. I love working with larger brands like the Starbucks and Microsoft and uh, so other ones. But these small to medium sized brands, I love it because there's there's more of them. But there's also this instant gratification in seeing where your work is going. And I think if we can add more value into that space and really focus our niche on that and sit having them, you know, you're, you're only two degrees of separation from the head of a, a medium sized startup. And whereas a big Starbucks, you're with, you're, you're never going to know who's running the show. And you're going to see your work within a week on Instagram, you're going to see your work in an ad that comes across or whatever it might be. So it's, we're looking to really focus our energy in that sector and obviously have our big client from the side and we'll, we'll definitely work with them as long and as much as we can. But there's definitely this need for that small to medium size, but continuously adding value with the crew that I have and keep on bringing more people on. And like I said, getting the space so that we can have a well-oiled machine working in everything from e-com photography all the way to, you know, an international campaign. Yeah. One of the things I learned was with, with the smaller businesses and the smaller companies, the person you're talking to is is ultimately the decision maker because they're the owner of the mm -hmm. company or have a big yep. stake in it. But when you're dealing with a huge client like Microsoft or Starbucks, you're not necessarily mm -hmm. talking to the the decision maker. So no. how so how do you sort of adapt to that reality? It's it's a learning learning process it uh it's very different so if anybody who is listening has worked with a smaller small startup they they usually don't have somebody like you said they're the decision maker they don't have that person that is that they need to answer to they have they might not even have a set budget for the quarter or whatever it might be it's just kind of like we need we need something can you help us and that's a lot of the time the conversation how the conversation starts with these larger brands they have a much clearer vision of what they want and what they're allowed to do but there's also a lot of red tape um, around what you can and can't do there's a lot more meetings involved there's a lot more checks and balances um, budgetary meetings like it, it's it's a different it's a different show um then that's something that i've definitely had to learn and that's why i work with one my producer you know he's had extreme a ton of uh, experience in the commercial world uh working at a large agency for a long time and he's worked with the, these multi-million dollar brands whereas i have a, a very strong understanding of working with these small to medium-sized brands so coming together we're able to form a pretty good team and at what point did you make the choice to bring on a producer. 
Um, it was not really a choice. It was a, a need. <laughs> I just didn't. My it was just like a a point of I'm. I was one getting really busy, but I had so many questions. And to me, my my buddy, he's more of like a, a producer, soundboard, uh, a filter, a complain person that I just complained to, um, all of the above. But it's just like it, it, sometimes it helps when you're building a business to just have somebody that you can just talk through things about it makes it so much easier in terms of like making sure one you're making good decisions for yourself uh good decisions for the brand um yeah it it actually makes a lot more fun we've been friends since college so it's just like it it makes it very very it makes it more than a business just makes it like it is yeah sometimes we'll pinch ourselves like we get to do this this is our life this is it's fantastic you know yeah, no, no, no suit and tie today. It's a great day. No suit and tie today. No, <laughs> I remember when I left my uh, job at the investment firm. Uh, I actually took my all my slacks, my collared shirts, my ties because I had to wear that every single day. And I took it to the goodwill. And I was like, never again. I'm never. I don't ever want to wear a suit. And then I had a wedding coming up, and then I needed to go buy a suit. So I but, had, <laughs> it, it, my my wife got a new bureau. So she wanted me to move stuff, mm-hmm. and I realized that I had, I had a bunch of ties that I wore during my earlier years because I always had to wear a shirt and tie. And I'm going, why the hell am I keeping this? I got one good suit, yeah, you know, and two shirts with it, and two ties, and just a kerchief. And if anything, I need to just get a sports jacket. But all these ties that are sitting in the yeah. bin. I, I need to unload those things because I'm I'm never going to go through them again. For what? <laughs> yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is yeah. I ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, yeah. someone you've long appreciated or someone you've recently discovered. Oh, man, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I would few different people come to mind. Uh, one of my really good buddies who I, we started around the same time. Our directions have gone different ways, but uh, Costas Garcia, he is now working with, and it's very different from what I do. He does concerts. He works with a DJ group called Loud Luxury. And so he's experiencing photography on an entirely different level so here i am shooting at a studio and here he is going to edc uh coachella uh vegas uh going to all these cool shows and doing photography in that way um so it's it's cool so if you're interested in photography i think that's really a fun place to start is going to someone like him Uh, another one of my buddies Braden figueroa he's a fantastic videographer he works for the lakers um i would check out him i think he goes by b figgy on instagram um, oh, I could go on. Cole Walliser, uh, he and I became buddies for a while, or became buddies. Um, we've been buddies for a while now, and he's a Glambot king. If you haven't seen his stuff, I'm sure I'm sure most people are very aware of the Glambot of like the Oscars and the slow motions. Yes, like, check out his stuff. It's pretty fun to watch. You can get lost in that for a while. There's tons of people. Yeah, but thank you for that, and thank you for your time. I really enjoyed uh, talking yeah. with you. Thanks to Evan for joining us. Find out more about him and his work by visiting nagastudios.com.
Bandcamp.com. And if you're a fan of our work, you have different ways to support us. You can write a review on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on your social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame and you can support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.